Let's read uh, Colossians 1 and just 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And then jumping over to chapter 2 and verses 6 to 15. The heading in the NIV is freedom from human regulations through life with Christ. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted in a certain place where was a den and laid me down in that place to sleep and as I slept I dreamed a dream do you recognize it? see a number of well come on in the informal informality of an evening service call out the introduction to Pilgrim's Progress yes the beginning of uh, that story, story of a, a pilgrim's progress from the city of destruction to the celestial city. In his 12 years of in and out of prison in Bedford, Bunyan had plenty of time to ponder the human condition, to think of it from a biblical point of view, and think of some remedies for it. Here's that pilgrim with the burden of sin on his back. Now, the Apostle Paul must have influenced Bunyan, and I think probably, I have no foundation for saying this, but I think probably Colossians 1 would be one of the places that he went for his inspiration. Because, and I think it would be useful for you to have your Bible, 1183, was that the, uh, the page? 
in the Pew Bible. It would be useful for you to have your Bible open because I'll be referring to it fairly often. In verse 21, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, just like Pilgrim was at the beginning in the city of destruction. So, the first word, thought, I want to give you is alienation. Our condition from birth, that's how we came into this world. You know, that theme runs right through the Bible, doesn't it? From the ejection of Adam and Eve from the garden to the last judgment in Revelation. I've chosen just two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New to illustrate that. Let me read them to you. But your iniquities have separated. There's alienation. Have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And in the New Testament, Ephesians 2 verse 12. Remember, he says to the people of Ephesus, at that time you were separate, alienated from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. That first word, alienation, that's what we were. But that's not what we are now as believers in Jesus Christ. After various trials, remember the sly of despond? Or Mr. Worldly Wiseman? Bunyan says, So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from his shoulders and fell off from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. And Christian called out, Blessed cross, blessed sepulchre, blessed rather be the man who there was put to shame for me. And in Colossians 1 verse 22, you'll see, Paul says, Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And again, that theme runs through the whole Bible. From the shadowy promise of a, a Savior immediately in Genesis 3, when the fall took place, to the vision of the risen Christ in the book of Revelation. Again, I've chosen just two verses. Jeremiah 24 and 2 Corinthians 5. Jeremiah 24 says this, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. There's reconciliation. And it's very straightforward in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting man's sin against them. That theme speaks to us. We have been reconciled. We've been brought back into the family of God. But of course, that wasn't the end of Pilgrim's progress. He now begins the journey towards his final goal, which is the celestial city. 
And in the end, as you know, after many adventures, he arrives there, clothed in the armor of God, to be presented to the king. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says, Here is the final objective of our pilgrimage, to present you, Number one, holy in his sight. Number two, without blemish. Number three, free from accusation. What a state to be in. What a standing to have before God. And it's coming. We will be presented. My third word is presentation. And again, two verses that talk about that truth. We all know Job 19, don't we? The Messiah has made it so popular. What a wonderful truth it is. Way back in Job's time. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed. The disease he was suffering from at that time. Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I. Not another. What a wonderful assurance to have. And in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, we know that the one who has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, Paul and his team with the people of Corinth, in his presence. Presentation. That's it. And that is our future. Of course, between losing his burden, his reconciliation with God, and his presentation to the king in the celestial city, Christian continued in his progress with his various companions. Here he is with Hopeful. There were others, of course. You remember Faithful and Vanity Fair and what happened to him? Here they're enjoying, I think, Beulah Land or perhaps the Delectable Mountains. But it wasn't always like that, of course. He had to climb the hill difficulty. And in Colossians 1, verse 23, Paul says, If you continue in your faith, continue, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If you continue... That word if doesn't doesn't worry me, like it seems to do some people. F. F. Bruce said, continuity is the test of reality. I like that. Continuity is the test of reality. Saints persevere. They continue. So my fourth word is continuation. Now, for the purists, not to mention the pedants, better word would be continuance. I know that. It's the one all the commentators use. But just to have another Asian, I want, I'll say continuation. If you want continuance, you continue. So, we believers continue, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the gospel. And remember that the hope of the gospel isn't Perhaps, maybe, I wish, as ordinary hope is. No, the gospel hope is 
blessed assurance. Complete certainty. And that, says Paul, at the end of verse 23, is the gospel preached everywhere, and of which he was a servant of Christ. Now, that thought of continuation, I've put the word continuance down, that third of con- uh, thought of continuation is continued in the second part of the passage which uh, Richard read to us this evening. So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord, wonderful verse, continue to live in him. You have received Christ as Lord. Continue in him. Continue in him, and he goes on, rooted built up and strengthened and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see the, the changing picture Paul paints here? If you like, it, it's, a, it's a mixed metaphor. Rooted. And for those listening by recording, I'll say on the screen is a picture of a tree planted on the outside bend of a river. It has two trunks disappearing off the top of the picture. But the Surprising thing and the striking thing is the roots which can be seen, what, three, four feet off the ground, going straight down in. And you can see that that river sweeping round the bend in the wet season has carried away all the soft clay and silt and whatever was there. But the roots going deep down, perhaps to the bedrock, hold the tree firm and straight and tall. And that's the idea Paul has here, rooted. You and I are rooted in Christ. Then he changes the picture. Picture of a building. Well, I have a, a wall in my mind and in the picture there with a buttress. Built up and strengthened in the faith. In the faith is the body of teaching we have received. Isn't it a, a wonderful privilege to be brought up in a church that teaches the faith as is taught here? If you've been brought up in that sort of church, praise God for the truth of his word and the way in which you have been built up and strengthened. Couldn't find any other picture but that one. But at least it's an overflowing cup. Overflowing with thankfulness. I want to ask us some questions this evening. Just no three. I'll ask myself them. Am I truly rooted in him and in him alone? Am I being built up and strengthened by getting to know him through his word? Am I really overflowing with thankfulness? Or do I tend to take all his blessings for granted? I've been on the way a long time. I can't take things for granted too easily. Can you? Now, having made his exhortation to the believers in Colossae to continue to live in him, then Paul goes on to give a number of warnings in the rest of chapter 2. But I'm just going to deal with the first one of these. We'll probably come to the others later on. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. And the idea in that word captive is 
kidnapped. Suddenly you're imprisoned and you just then realize it. You're not free anymore. And that was what Paul was pointing out to the people of Colossae. False teachers had come in, visiting, seemingly. And they were trying to persuade the Colossians that they needed something more than faith in Christ alone. It was, as David said last Sunday evening, Jesus plus. And Paul calls that, in verse 8, a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. Human tradition? Maybe the rules and regulations that, that were still there from a pre-Christ period. The old covenant, if you like. Maybe a kind of worldly morality. I bring my goodness as well as the salvation of Christ to my salvation. I have something I can put in there. And when it comes to depending on human tradition, just glance down to verse 20, which explains it very nicely. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Those sorts of rules. Don't do. Cut it out. That sort of thing. Jesus plus. And Paul assures them that the fullness that these false teachers were proclaiming was to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Nothing else was necessary. And he does that by making this very dramatic statement in verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now that's a a mind-bending statement. In Christ All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. By the way, he's made that claim before, and we heard about it last Sunday evening in uh, chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The fullness of God's essence, his, his wisdom, his power, his glory, his grace, have taken up residence in Christ. And now, he says to these besieged believers, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's it. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Paul was rather fond of saying that sort of thing. He had said that to the Ephesians. When he was praying for them, he told them, I'm praying that you may be filled to the measure. Here's the overflowing cup again. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, So that the body of Christ, that's us, the church, may be built up and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, our union with him means that we share his very life. Again, that's a mind-blowing statement. As one commentator has put it, in Christ we have all that can be ours, this side of heaven. His forgiveness, his grace, his presence, his power, all available to meet the eventualities of life. We'll have to meet them. We do meet them day by day. But we have His grace, His presence, 
His power. So, for our continuing to live in Him, we have fullness in Christ. It's there in verse 9. Now, on to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 seems to hint that the false teachers were advising that circumcision was required to achieve this fullness. And again, Paul is very straightforward about this. He says, no. Not in so many terms, but the way he puts it. He's saying, no. In their conversion, the Colossians had undergone a spiritual circumcision through Christ's death for them. In their baptism, they had been buried with him and had been raised with him by faith. By the way, that's one of the texts that helps us to see that our mode of baptism is the one that's biblical. Just as the bread reminded us this evening of the the body of Christ and the wine of the blood of Christ, going down into the water is symbol of dying with Christ. Under the water, buried with him. Going up out of the water, raised with him. If you want to know more about that, talk to Trevor later. But there, you see, in him, verse 11, End of verse 11, by him, verse 12, with him in baptism, raised with him. Well, in our continuing to live in him, we have fellowship with Christ. And finally, in verses 13 to 15, glance down through it. Once we were dead in sins, we were separated from God. We were alienated from Him. But Christ made us alive. Or as Paul puts it, God made us alive in Christ. He forgave us. We didn't have anything to bring to our salvation. We couldn't anyway. The law was there and was always threatening us. And we couldn't live up to its demands. But, verse 14... He cancelled the written code with his regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. Now what does that mean? The written code was like a document which was saying we had signed that we would keep the law. But clearly we couldn't do that. If you like, we were in debt to the law. So there it was, that document, standing against us and standing opposed to us. But Christ took that certificate of debt and cancelled it. He took it away, says verse 14 at the end, nailing it to the cross. Paul puts it rather like this. Jesus nailed the accusation against us to the cross just as his accusation was nailed there by Pilate. You see... As we know very well, the crimes for which he was crucified are our crimes. The sins of the world. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And we're forgiven. Look at verse 15. In his death, we are freed from the demands of the law. That's verse 14. Verse 15 says, in his death, We are also freed from the dominion of the demonic powers and authorities. Freedom 
Freedom from the demands of the law. Freedom from the dominion of demonic powers and authorities. At the cross, they were defeated. So, continuing to live in him means freedom through Christ. Now, I want to acknowledge immediately, those last two lines are not mine. Well, the first one, fullness in Christ, is in in the Bible, so I, I can't claim that one either. But the second two came from Dick Lucas's book. He calls his book on Colossians, Fullness and Freedom. And there's where he got his, his title from. But I just wanted you to know that. It's, it's, they aren't, I couldn't have thought of that. But he did, and why shouldn't I use it? We've been observing the pilgrim's progress this evening. Now, David gave you eight principles this morning to remember. I've just given you seven. And if you can't remember those four, go back to the text. They're all there in in verb form. You were alienated. You are now reconciled. You will be presented. That's the pilgrim's progress. In the meantime, continue. And in your continuing, you have fullness in Christ. You have fellowship with Christ. With Him. With Him. In Him. By Him. And you have freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of the law, freedom from the domination of demonic powers and authorities. There is the pilgrim's progress from Colossians 1 and part of Colossians 2.